0: Welcome to AIM High, Cranberry Kingswood's alumni podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear from the voices of students, alumni, staff, and faculty who embody the values of the Cranberry community. This episode is brought to you by Alumni.fm, a CK alum podcast production company with the mission to connect people through stories. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Welcome to the AIM High podcast, CK's alumni podcast. With me today is Johnny Immerman, class of 1994. He is the founder of Immerman Angels and also Close Talks. But hey, Johnny, I'll let you say a few words and tell us a little bit more.
1: Robert, great to see you, my friend, and awesome to be here. Just a proud Cranbrook alum, that's for sure. And I've uh, been really grateful to stay connected over all these years. I'm also very blessed to be the class secretary for 94. So it makes it really easy for me to stay connected to so many friends right above all what they're doing out there. And so that's been a lot of fun too. And uh, we have just found ourselves in a social impact world last 20 years or so working for social impact startups. And so it's been a lot of fun. That's definitely our jam, trying to solve social problems, make the world better, make mistakes, and we learn every day. What's
0: the social problem you're solving today?
1: The social problem today, the number one thing we're working on is something called Closed Talk, which we design apparel, so branded apparel, specifically for nonprofits. Nonprofits only, I should say. You know, we don't work with companies. We don't work with any other thing have to be a 501c, but our mission is to basically take what we all know, the $2 cheap nonprofit t-shirts that you get at a 5K and make them cool. That's really what we're going after. Solve the broken problem that nonprofits are making swag that nobody wears. And so we're registered B Corp and my brother and i was also a cramp of credit, co-founded Closed Talk 2018 we launched our site about four years in and the clothes are talking for a good cause and we're free for not profits we design their swag we basically make their t-shirts their hats their track jackets run their shopify store print on demand drop ship but it's really a place where any consumer can go to clothes talk site clothes we we'll read about missions that matter we have hundreds of nonprofits. find one that you think looks cool and you believe in and you can buy a single ad or a single shirt, and we'll ship it to you. And you become a brand volunteer. And you rock the logo for a cause. That's really what we're trying to do inspire people. And you are making a difference if you rock your favorite and walking your dog, and Tiger's game, at a concert, whatever you're doing. Somebody, see, somebody might even ask, give you an opportunity to explain the mission. And that's what the cause is really it's more awareness. They need more branding. So we do branding for causes through apparel.
0: Awesome. Awesome. We when you we say make clothes that are make swag that people want to wear, like, how do you do it? It's like what does that look like?
1: So basically what it looks like, you know, our quick little backstory of why we do what we do a couple years out of Cranbrook, then I went to Michigan, then a couple years out of Michigan for college, just like you, Rabbit. the same exact path uh, I know for both of us. And then I was 26, and I got diagnosed with pretty advanced cancer, testicular cancer, chemo, surgeries, and so forth. Did all that down at Carmanos in Detroit. And at the very end, a group of young survivors, and I met, and we all became buddies, and we wanted to get back. And we created a 501c3 nonprofit called Immerman Angels. That's a one-on-one mentor program. Somebody's diagnosed any form of cancer anywhere in the world, any age, any stage level. We'll find them a survivor. We already know who beat the same thing to be their big sister or the big brother's mentor. And I moved to Chicago. Immerman angels is still based in Chicago. We have about 13,000 survivors that participate to mentor, but at the beginning, we were tiny and we needed to get the word out and we started to make t-shirts and some track jackets that over years, we learned what people would actually wear had to be very high quality. We make a black and white, just the logo, no taglines, no mission statements, definitely no company sponsors on the back. And what we learned is, if you do it right, and it's cool, and it means something, that supports something important. They're gonna rock the logo at gyms, at a sports game, at a concert, walking their dog. So our friends wore the Everybody's Logo. People asked about it. The word got out. The more the word got out, it brought us everything, it brought us donors. It brought us volunteers, it brought us cancer survivors who became mentors who heard about it and said, yeah, like I wanna join that group and help. It brought us people that were sick who needed help. And all lo and behold, 15 years later, we're still around uh, budget about 1.5 million a year and 13 full-time staff. And the way we looked at this eventually, Robert, we said, this is scalable. How do we take that story and scale it to help all causes. So we created Closed Talk. So we have 400 nonprofits that are on Closed Talk's platform. We're a registered B Corp, which I know you know, but the people who don't know out there, it's the highest level certification that your business force for social good and the highest standard of ethics as well. They look at our books, our numbers, our spending, how much do we donate back to causes? How much do we do for causes in general? everything like our shipping is 100 recyclable and good to the environment so having a b corp is a lot of credibility that our mission truly is ethical and making the world better and that's what we do for causes we basically have about 400 of them we design their apparel we build them a shopify store from hats to yoga pants to t-shirts to track jackets we basically make them one-off so the nonprofit doesn't have to deal with this stuff we house in we don't charge them out if anything and basically we create a marketplace you can go on you can buy you can learn about a cause rock your favorite cause be a part of you know helping them get the word out which we call brand volunteering which we think is the most important thing you can do for a cause because you never know who's going to see it or who's going to ask about it maybe it's a donor maybe it's a someone that's tv that wants to put you on a story talk about the cause but if you rock the logo, good things are going to happen.
0: And just two questions, just for context, how many other B Corp companies are there?
1: Yeah, about B Corps, there's uh 1,500 in the U.S., 4,700 in the world. So there's actually more B Corps outside the United States than in the United States. It was started in 2011 as a movement. And it's really cool because they realized, a couple of business people in New York City, Business people, I think they worked on Wall Street and they were like, we more conscious business. We need to like care about others. And they started this movement called B-Lab, which is actually a nonprofit that gives you the B-Corp certification. And it's incredible because it holds companies to a very high standard of ethics. It took us a year to get the certification and we spent countless hours on it, but they literally vet and score us in so many different categories, about are we looking at the environment? Are we good to our employees? Are we using brands that are ethical? Are we inclusive at in our vendors? So you have to pass all these rigorous tests that you're proving that your business is inclusive and has a mission that truly makes the world better, not just makes money.
0: All right, so, so that process takes one year. And now I'm also wondering, how long it take you for you to get your first partnership? How did you start out?
1: Because my past in nonprofits, I've got a lot of nonprofit friends because these are our colleagues. So colleagues, friends, partners, a lot of my best friends also work in the nonprofit space. And so it was very easy right away when I reached out to them. and said, hey, we're building this platform. It's free for you as a cause. We'll build you a Shopify store. If you want, you can use it on your own website click on shop and people could shop for you. But that's how we did it. I just told my friends I was doing this. Where first like dozens and dozens were all friends of mine who run nonprofits. And then now we're at 400, about four years later or so, four and a half years later. And now we're reaching the outer edges of sort of my circle of friends. So, which is great. Now we're starting to get more nonprofits that we've never met before. And some of them we've never heard of before. That's part of the value that we want to create is that people can come to our site. They've never heard of the cause, but learn about the mission. And not everyone's going to speak to you, but find one that does speak to you on our site. And then you can get involved or you can support by racking uh, a t-shirt or a hat. But now that's how we're doing it. We're just word of mouth, friends of friends. We'll post on LinkedIn every now and then that, hey, we're still looking for great causes and Every time we do that, we get some new ones that find us and it's just forming a partnership and
0: helping them. Gotcha. All right. So it sounds like the growth strategy, the marketing is primarily word of mouth. Is that right? Definitely.
1: We are definitely word of mouth friends of friends. We're soft touch guys and this is something that's free and no risk for nonprofits. But at the same time, we don't want to pressure them. Like it's up to them if they want to take our help. But the way we built it, there's no downside and there's big upside. So in our minds, we're like, we can't really understand any nonprofit would say no. But likewise, we have to vet wrapper the causes because we want to make sure that our community causes are truly ones that make the world better and are in good standing with the government 501C certification. So everyone can come to our site, trust Hey, I believe in these causes and we're a B Corp, but they vet everything we do. So there's also a level of trust there too.
0: All right. So you have the certifications, you have 400, 400 organizations working with you. You have a team all all across the U S right. And you have a great brand reputation. Lots of things going the right way for you. So tell me what went wrong along the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the kind words. I feel. As much as I appreciate those kind words, Robert, I feel like I am the king of mistakes. And I make mistakes every day. If you try different things on the website, you try different brands that you think people will like, I mean, it's a constant entrepreneurial path where you make mistakes and then you fix something. More mistakes, and then you fix those. So you just, you can't ever let it get you down because that's part of the process of listening to the market going with your gut and making a decision and what's not what the market wants it'll tell you then you tweak this or you tweak that so those Mm -hmm. are our biggest challenges is we're still learning what is it going to take to inspire the everyday human being that hey i'm going to the gym tonight i don't want to wear just a plain white t-shirt like i normally do i want to wear a cause that matters that makes the world better i want to promote It sounds simple or it sounds like, well, would everyone do that? But the reality is it's just not been done yet. So we have to change the way collectively people think and that their apparel is actually something that has function and a bigger purpose. And we even argue that people who wear clothes stock apparel are happier you make more friends somebody asks about it you're more connected and you're just you're feeling good about yourself because you feel like you're volunteering when you're just going about your day as you normally would it doesn't take an extra bit of your own time right just to rock the cause if you're wearing a t-shirt anyway might as well rock it for a cause
0: you know so brand volunteer you said that word before is that a phrase that you coined or is that something that's existed for a while
1: we say that word a lot. I don't know. My brother Jeff, who is CK92, is also a lawyer. He would know if he's on this call because he's probably looked it up to see if that word is actually like trademarked. I don't know if it is. I really don't. But we use that word because I feel like it's the best way to describe the mindset of someone. If you don't have time to go in an office and answer phones for, you know, three hours on an afternoon during the week to volunteer. That's okay. If you're just going to the gym anyway, you're walking your dog anyway, you're going to the grocery store anyway, and you're wearing a t-shirt, you can be branding. And the causes need awareness to grow. And I think lots of times what happens, Robert, is that people think that the only way to help a cause is to give them money. But the reality is there's a multiplier effect. If you spent $25, on a t-shirt that you wear 50 times over the next couple of years and you keep it in your closet, how many conversations are you going to have telling someone else who might be able to help that cause way more than you can or make a write a bigger check than you can or help somebody that's sick that needs that cause, that helps that cause help more people. So we look at it as a donation and cash is great to nonprofits and there's nothing wrong with that. They need that. But branding and reaching a big from X, let's say, who knows the nonprofit, to 2X, to 3X, as it continues to grow, there's more people now to find different ways to support the cause. That's how we actually lift the causes up, is from having more people know and more people being aware, and everyone is going to find a way to help if they're really inspired by the mission.
0: All right, here's uh, something I'm very curious about. So yes, you can support financially, and yes, you can support with awareness and spreading the word. You know, the common phrase is starving artists, and artists get paid in exposure. So what would you say is the difference between being a starving artist with a lot of exposure and, you know, being a closed talk with a lot of exposure, but not starving.
1: <laughs> That's a very good question. No one's ever asked that, Robert. That's what you get from a smart crammer cologne. Um, <laughs> what is the difference? Let me lead with this being very open. Close talk is not profitable yet, but we almost broke even last year. But we're a little bit in the red, but we're doubling sales every year. So from that standpoint, we're starving as an organization <laughs> that we're not profitable. At the same time, we've got a lot of faith that we're going to find a way to turn it around. But I will say this. I think the core of your question, at least the way I'm interpreting it, is if you love what you do and you care about it and you believe in it, whether it's artwork or whether it's solving social problems or doing legal work, if you love what you do, to me, that's just the best choice out there in the world because there's only so many hours and so many days of life and to wake up every day and be terrified, not terrified, but just frustrated to do something every day, even if you're making a ton of money. I just, I don't know. I can't imagine living that way. Life is what's happening right now. And maybe a lot of young adult survivors, if they were here, they would say the same thing because you just learn that lesson at a young age that there's only so so much time here. And I just don't have time to waste doing a job that I might, you know, absolutely dislike. You know, it just, it can't be about that in the end. We all need enough. I get that. But ultimately loving what you do, finding a way, whether it's an artist or being a social impact guy, if you love it, it's just a better life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Also tell me about, you're you're talking about uh, a little earlier, you're listening to the market and adjusting to give them what they want. Was there some instance where you thought the market really wanted something, but they totally did not?
1: Yeah, we've learned a ton of lessons. One that we actually discussed today. It's a great question because our site in the last four years, which we're redoing our entire site. In the beginning, we only had a dozen, couple dozen nonprofits. So we had 25 categories, click on each category, like a helping animal nonprofits, helping the homeless, Food insecurity, but you could click on a category and it'd see a few nonprofits and then read about them. What we've learned, we have 400 nonprofits. It's time to change the way that is, because it's overwhelming to people with all these categories. And you click on like health category, and there's like 50 health nonprofits in there. It's like too many and tiles to like look at, sift through. It's just overwhelming. So what we've learned is to evolve and this one wasn't really a mistake as much as that's how it should have been when we were a few number of nonprofits but now there were a lot hundreds even though we want hundreds more we're learning the search bar now is much more important and much more powerful and much less overwhelming for people and they're using it more if they go to the search bar kind of like google right you go to google's website it's blank white and google And then you see a little tiny search engine, that's it like search engine is the powerful tool that gets you to where you want. And we're learning that now that even though we thought it was more visual to click by category and drill down, it's we're past that. Now we need to evolve and we're amping off our search bar. So someone can type in Michigan space, animals, space, no kill. Somebody really wants to know which no-kill animal shelters are in the state of Michigan. And they're great nonprofits because that's who I want to get involved with and I want to learn what's out there. So that we're trying to teach our community and our users to use the search bar unless all of this big cluster of nonprofits that you just see each tile click on. So maybe that's not a mistake as much as an evolution.
0: If I were to say a mistake... That's a great word nothing's a mistake. It's an evolution.
1: <laughs> it's, an evolution. it's a euphemism, yeah. clearly,
0: right? It's just a euphemism.
1: It just makes you feel better. Like you're not that stupid, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true. The biggest mistake that I'll tell you is I bought a, I take total ownership. My brother said, don't do it. And I said, yes, it's a good marketing idea. When we were in Chicago. I bought a 30-foot-long truck. And a friend of mine's in the business. He wrapped the whole truck in closed talk. And I used to office out of the back of this truck. And I would sit at the bridge in Chicago, like a Landoff Bridge. And you have 1.2 million cars traveling northbound and southbound, 94. And I was like, this is going to be a billboard that we sit in the truck, I office out of it, and we're doing branding on all these cars. And it worked a little bit, I will tell you. There were people that saw my shirt or saw the truck. and would be like, oh, I've seen that truck before. I know that logo. It worked a little bit. But let me just tell you, I got tired of being in the truck all the time. And it wasn't as nearly as branding as we thought. People might recognize us, but they don't really know what we do. So we sold the truck. We got out of that. But... That was an expensive lesson that I learned, that I thought grassroots truck branding on a bridge might work, eh, not so much. Well, that's interesting
0: because <laughs> it is awareness in some way. So what's lacking in that example? Like, why does that awareness not work?
1: So it's very interesting. It was general awareness, which can't, I still argue. My brother says it was all a bad idea, 100%. I would say it was like 95% a bad idea. 5% is what you're talking about, Robert is that, yeah, people did recognize it. I met one guy at a party once in Chicago, and he goes, oh, wait, you're with clothes talk. I saw the truck so many times. I pulled out my phone. I Googled it. I read about all what you do. I was so curious. So it did work for some people, but I think at the end of the day, it was just labor intensive. We are wasting gas. We're like environmental guys. You know, I, we have to keep the heat on because the winter's cold and I'm in the truck. And I'm just like, bothering me that we're like spending money on gas and we're polluting air and just the whole thing there were too many challenges with it parking that thing was a pain in the butt as well it's 30 feet long in Chicago not easy to park in places it just became too much of a mess But no doubt, I would say it was 5% effective of what I thought it would be. And there are some people who did learn about it. It's just general branding, but they didn't understand the mission. They didn't really know more. If you're talking to someone with a shirt and they say, hey, what's launch you? You're there to back it up, to talk about it and really educate that person. The truck, you can't do that. It's like a static billboard. It's like a billboard,
0: really. But also they know it's pronounced closed talk and not like cloth talk or something like that, right?
1: exactly we've gotten that many times we still do sometimes
0: so in the next iteration of it you're just gonna get an electric truck and try again
1: <laughs> so
0: i love that you said
1: that robert we tried to get an electric truck and this was like 2017 18 didn't exist in like today we're like the technology's just getting there where i think i forget which company it is like tesla or one of these they're starting to make electric trucks i would have been much happier with that for sure <laughs>
0: That's a funny <laughs> image. You have one of those cyber trucks, and you car wrap it. <laughs> it's
1: like, wrap the whole. wrap Everything was wrapped, the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> we've been talking about closed talk a lot. What lessons did you grab when you're primarily focused on Immerman Angels?
1: Absolutely. Like we learned a lot of lessons about traffic space. I don't mean to sound
0: pessimistic in any way,
1: but it's a good thing I don't know. I didn't know that what I know now because starting a nonprofit from scratch does take your whole soul. The first four years, like I didn't even go on any dates with anyone. I was newer to Chicago, working 24-7. Starting a nonprofit is not for the week. no way. You got to be so passionate. You got to love it so much. So I'm a big fan after everything we've seen and we've done the 501C side. We've done the B Corp side. I think B Corp is the future. And if you can build a social good organization and make it a B Corp versus a nonprofit, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Because if you're a nonprofit, you're gonna have to have volunteers, you're gonna have to have board members, you're gonna have to do fundraising, you have to hire people just to get money for you, to fund the engine, to do the work you wanna do. There's so many people in the kitchen, there's so much involved, Emberman Angels has like a thousand local volunteers in Chicago. We have 25 board members. We have four different boards, actually. 25 on our big board, but then we have a medical advisory board. And B Corps work more nimbly. It runs more like a business. And you just have to grind it out. But it's a little, to me, less going. Fewer people in the kitchen. You could be much more agile and make quicker decisions. But the difference is you put your own money in, right, for a B Corp. And if the company goes under, you just lose your own money. That's all for a nonprofit, of course, like the community funds it. Nonprofits are funded by the community and foundations, individual donations and so forth. But one lesson we learned, maybe the biggest one with the nonprofits specifically, is that you've got to be mission focused. And at the beginning, we were doing so many different things. You know, we were cancer survivors. We wanted to get back. We were doing one-on-one partnering for support. This person had cancer, this person bee beat cancer, Hooked them up. But we also were doing like toy drives for kids on chemo. We were doing, this guy doesn't have a ride to chemo, but we know a survivor that lives near him and the birds. Let's call him to give that guy a ride. We were doing all these things that people asked us for. And my board grabbed me around the neck at one point and said, we're all going to fail and sink the ship and it's going to be your fault. And they pointed their finger at me and they were right. And they taught me one of the best lessons. We put our all the things we could be doing at every minute to help people with cancer, all good things, but we can't do them all. We have to choose one or two things really. And we put all the things we were doing, 30, 40 things on paper, and then we started crossing them off one at a time, things we could live without. And the one thing we could not cross out and we just did not want to live without was one-on-one venture. That's when we got good, Robert, because we got better at what we do because we were focused. And our brand was clear. When someone said, what's in Angels?" They do, oh yeah, they hook up this guy with cancer and that guy will be cancer. And that's it. When you have so many dozens of programs you're doing, you're basically become a blur of your brand because no one can remember the all too many things. And also, it's not measurable. When you're doing one thing, one of you want to be the best at it, it's very easy to measure how many matches that it, how many survivors have you created. And that's important to build measure success, to motivate your team. you set goals and you surpass those goals, hopefully. And that's one of the big lessons I learned is razor sharp, laser focused, on the mission, choose the mission. If you're the founder, choose a mission that speaks to you and makes you the happiest. Everyone's different, but it's gotta be something you love care about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So laser focus, before this interview started, we we're talking about, Hey, you got a lot of things going on. I always feel a little bit behind. For you personally, what's your process for residing? You know, what to say no to?
1: Yeah, I have a hard time saying no because you're in the social, I'm in the social impact space. I get every day, you know, hey, I'm looking to connect with this person and nonprofits or that or connectors at the core. So I try to help everybody. You just find time to open doors and make connections for people in the nonprofit space. Yeah, it's hard to say no, but also you have to be mission focused, like we just said. So even with closed talk, we don't want to do other things. We don't want to add too many other things that we sell. Like we do apparel for causes. It should be that simple. Apparel, that's cool, that's quality, that's socially conscious brands that care. There's no child labor. There's maximum workout weeks like in our brands. Like they're brands that care, but they're also quality. And sticking to that's all we do. So staying mission focused here is also so important.
0: So let's take a step back. You're <laughs> at Close Talks. You started with a angels. I forget. Oh, actually, no. You went to Michigan. And one more step back, Cranbrook. All right. In your Cranbrook days, did you think you would be doing any of this?
1: No. With my Cranbrook days, I graduated 18, 19. Now, I never thought I'd be diagnosed with cancer six, seven years later. Never thought I'd be working in social impact full time. And I think in life, you sometimes become a person that just trusts that what life gives you is your path. And there's really not sometimes a whole lot we can do about the path. And so I was working in commercial real estate before. And once I got diagnosed, I just was like, I don't really care. And I don't really know how long I'm going to live my life. And I just want to do something that I know makes the world better and makes me happy and makes a real difference. It leaves a footprint. And that was kind of my reaction after treatment. And the reason why is my mom and my brother, like that's our family. That was our, those are the lessons taught by my mom. You're always giving back. You're always helping out others. You're always volunteering. So then at that point, once I got sick, I was like, you know what? This is a time that I'm not that afraid to jump. So no, at Cranbrook, I never thought I would be here in this space doing this. But, you know, that's also a lesson I think we learn at Cranbrook is always service. I can remember at Cranbrook going into a senior living home and visiting people once or twice a week in the area. It was like Square Lake and Woodward, so I remember that. But you're always expected to do something for people outside yourself. And I think Cranbrook is awesome in that way. You have to do some community service because we all, hopefully, become the best people. We can always be thinking of others as you get older. But I think a lot of that foundation comes from places and the people at Cranbrook.
0: During your days at Cranbrook, how would you define the community that you're a part of?
1: Yeah, we're still friends. I mean, again, I'm lucky to be the class secretary. I feel like it's such a community. I had lunch last week with one of my classmates from Cranbrook in New York city. I've stayed in touch with a ton of people in my year and other years too. It's a community, as I think you know exactly what I mean, Robert. It's like a small place. We're all connected. We're all cut from a similar cloth at least some ways, or I mean, think at least similarly in some ways, whether there's a lot of ways to say what that could mean, but it's just a common experience. That we all have gone through and it. Oh, it just always feels like a community. And Every time I go back to like a alumni cocktail, it's like one of my favorite things to do it just seeing old friends. You saw you grew up and that's how you grow up. It's just, it's an amazing, I'm lucky to be a part of it. Yeah.
0: You know, so, so I started being a class secretary last year, not too long ago. And I, I'm wondering for you, Hey, like through the years, has anyone in your class done something that you would have never expected them to do?
1: You know, I would say our class has been pretty good. Like lots of don't take this personally. Over time, they start to respond less. You have to try harder. <laughs> Over time, they just get busy and they have families or kids. No one's fault. It's not personal, but you got to try harder to get them to respond to you, to give you an update. No, I haven't been really surprised on in what they do as a class secretary, but it's a lot of fun. And I think you're going to find it to be really fun too, rather than you get to keep in touch. It's a reason to reach out. And you'll be surprised. Like some people who you didn't think would reach out and keep in touch with you will do that. It might be a real pleasant surprise to see how many people reach out to you and you just stay connected.
0: Oh, that's that's true. I mean, some people that probably only talked to I mean, literally maybe five times during my time in high school, they reached out. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was expecting this, but it's awesome. It's awesome. In, in a similar way, I think just living day-to-day life, doing different things, you just come across CK people unexpectedly like seeking people are everywhere
1: (laughs) you definitely do they are we are out and about we travel and we do great things like cranbrook teaches you that aim high from the beginning don't just settle and do something small like go epic go big do something big create build whatever you do but it's pretty amazing how many cranbrook alums have done some really outstanding
0: things now what's i'm actually wondering this too so What made you volunteer as class secretary?
1: So my friend, Chris Bell, who's my year 94, great guy. He originally did it for five years for us. And he called me up one day and he's like, Johnny, can I pass the torch to you? Because I'm just overwhelmed and I just have too much going on. He's like, "Will you do it. And then maybe in five years, you pass it to someone else. And I just never passed it. (laughs) So he gave it to me and I was going to pass it and then I don't know if anyone else would do it. I will tell you, it gets harder as you go along. People want to do it, but I enjoy it. I really do. I don't mind doing it. I always find a way because it just makes me happy too. It's like a reason to stay in touch with great friends. It forces you to stop sometimes when we're all busy. I reach out to your friends you grew up with who in some ways know you better than anyone. We all grew up together. We all saw what we did as kids. We made a lot of the... We did dumb things together or said dumb things I and mean, we grew up together and it's just really nice when you're around those roots, friends. So to me it's an honor
0: to do it. All right. So you don't have to tell me about any of the dumb things you did, but hey, what's one of the most memorable things you did? <laughs> I've
1: done plenty of dumb things. There's no doubt about that. One of the most memorable things, like a yeah, cranbrook memory. A cranbrook. At yeah. Cranbrook? One of the Galapagos trip at Cranbrook, I will say how lucky we were to do that. And it was incredible because you're there with 20, 25 classmates from Cranbrook. You're seeing this unbelievable part of the world and like four teachers you saw were on the trip. And, uh, it was one of the greatest trips in my life. I cannot see. I don't,
0: I don't think that trip existed while, uh, I was there. So why, why'd you go to Galapagos? What's the occasion?
1: So it basically was like to learn. Oh, about. to learn. kind of like the oh. science. Yeah. We <laughs> were learning and, and it was sort of vacation. So it was during yeah. spring break. It was two full weeks. We spent a week in keto and then a week in the Galapagos Islands, like learning about like these turtles and these birds, these bright birds. But like, what a cool trip that like Cranbrook put that on. I was really lucky to be able to do that and to go. But for all you're doing it, like with all your friends from school, and we all bonded a lot. Everybody on that trip really bonded. But there's so many good memories. Also the bike trip, when we got in and much less maybe exotic trip, I would say. We did the bike trip in middle school at Cranbrook, where we drove down bikes, and we had, I don't know, 50, 60 kids. And the Cranbrook Middle School, and we like did a week-long bike trip in like Kentucky and that was fun too like camping with your friends and so those are the things that like stand out you learn a lot in the classroom but those trips i think that you take with your friends there's just a lot of that happens a lot of great memories i would
0: love to take a week long bike trip and go to galapagos islands i that i never heard <laughs> about these things i never heard about these things but but you know he must
1: not changed it <laughs> This was the '90s, man. In the '90s, they were going crazy, man. Every, They were doing this. Stuff. Every
0: single person who graduated <laughs> in the '90s or like '80s I talked i said "Wow, that was really, really cool." <laughs> Where was that when I was there?
1: I can't believe we, they didn't let you go on that trip, man. We're gonna have to talk to people on the faculty. Oh, please, side.
0: please. I mean, I be mean, the, the cool thing though that has carried through is like wilderness. Like, did you do wilderness?
1: Yes, I did that too. That's another great one. Wilderness was incredible, incredible experience. I just
0: remember. I just, it was amazing. I loved it. And then I just can't believe I had to take four showers to actually get clean afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty it's dirty, good. isn't it, man? Yeah. Well, it's a great time. It's a great time. So Yeah, that is a good time, man. I also want to ask, there must have been so many heartfelt moments for you, just working with Emery Angels and Closed Talk. I just want to see, hey, what was, what's something that really sticks out in your mind as a very heartfelt, emotional moment?
1: You know, heartfelt moment, I would say what comes to mind first to that question is seeing cancer survivors at the beginning of intermittent angels who are so happy to give back and so grateful for For no reward and no money and no recognition and no spotlight that people are calling us or joining us and saying, yeah, I beat brain cancer. Hook me up with someone fighting brain cancer now. I'm going to help them. And I want them to get through it. And I want to find purpose in in their whole journey. And I want to make a difference. And again, today we're 13,000 volunteer cancer survivors strong Mm -hmm. mentor. That just is so memorable to me in the beginning. Like it's working. Like these people want to help others. And those that are sick are benefiting so much by meeting a survivor like them. And then the emails and the calls thanking us as an organization for hooking them up. It's just one of the most memorable things. It was almost the fuel, Robert, that kept us building. We had no idea what we were building or how big it was going to get or how many thousands of lives we could change. We didn't know how fast or how far we were going to go, but we knew that it worked. And the feedback loop was short. And every time somebody got help and they would send us these heartfelt emails, that would make you cry saying, thank you so much for introducing me to Kevin. Like Kevin and I are now almost best friends. Like I have leukemia and I'm scared, but Kevin's strength and the way he got through it proves to me that I can get through this too. And gave me all these tips on chemo and what to eat and what not to eat and what I should take for anti-nausea drugs, what I shouldn't and try this and try that. And so look, they were thinking loss because they just felt so much more empowered, positive fighting their cancer and the way they're so grateful and selflessly give back to help the next person.
0: How many times has that happened where a survivor that has had a mentor, right? through memory angels because of mentoring themselves to other people.
1: Yes. So I think what you mean is like, once somebody gets a mentor and then they're able to beat it, it's almost every time they're so grateful for someone taking the time to help them, that they come back and they become a mentor and it's like AA, right? When you get a sponsor, somebody sponsors you when you have addiction to drugs and alcohol. But then when you're clean, you become a sponsor because the 14th step of AA says you can't keep what you don't give back. You can't keep what you don't give back, which is one of the most powerful expressions of life. And that if you want to stay sober in our case, you want to stop fearing cancer coming back or be in a good place. You're always helping the next person get their sobriety or get their NED, which is no evidence of disease of cancer. Get them clear on cancer, right? You're always giving back. And that not only helps those that are in the fight, but helps us heal. And it helps the survivors find some purpose. And there's why you went through this experience of cancer, because now you have a story. You have a unique knowledge to really share, to help the next person. All All of a sudden there's purpose. Just feels good. Just feels good to mentor.
0: For someone who wants to, you know, help others and give back, how can they help with either Remember Angels or Close Talk? Oh, actually not even or, and, let's say and.
1: <laughs> Anyone who, thanks for asking that. I mean, support Cranbrook first. This is a Cranbrook alumni podcast, so you always support Cranbrook. We all love Cranbrook. It's changed our lives. I know it's shaped you. It's definitely shaped me and my brother and basically everybody I know from Cranbrook. I mean, it's been such a big part of us. But also, yeah, if Immerman Angels is something that makes sense, and someone sick with cancer, it's free. Just send them to Immerman Angels. It's ImmermanAngels.org. I M E R M A Angels.org. You could send them to us. It's free. We're the biggest network in the world of survivors. We got the best chance of being able to help. And if you want to rock a cause and be a part of Close Talk, pick your favorite cause on our site. Rock the logo, feel good doing it. Share the message, share the mission, help that cause grow. You can go right to our site and buy a hat or a t-shirt or track jacket or hoodie for any cause
0: that really speaks to you. Amazing. All right, last question. Who do you want to hear next on the podcast?
1: That's a great question. I think you should have a board of governors. On the board of governors, it is my year, a guy named Ernest Adams. And Ernest just stepped out, actually, this week. He's a good friend of mine, lives in New York. He was a boarder, he was captain of our football team, captain of our wrestling team. He's like a badass, great guy. And Ernie, we call him Ernie. Only a few of us get to call him Ernie, because he really like it, but we do, because we grew up with him. But Ernest would be a great guy to interview. Not only is he like bleed Cranbrook like we all do and loves it, but he has had a really unbelievable career in HR for huge companies like Gap. And most recently at Ralph Lauren, he was the number two in HR. He just actually walked away and he's going to be in a RV for the next like six months. He's like taking time off and he's like traveling around already. But I think he'd be a great interview for you. He has internet access. So. Okay. And he hasn't left on <laughs> the trip yet. So you could still get him. You can still get him before he leaves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, before he's off the grid. Yeah, exactly, because he's going to do that. What he's accomplished to be the number two in HR at a company like Ralph Lauren, a billion-dollar company, he's a genius in what he does, keeping cultures as healthy as they can. Just a great guy, very successful story of finding a niche in the fashion world in HR and just, grow, just building his way up. But check him out, Robert. And If you want an intro to him or any other person, Let me know. Alyssa Slotkin is another one my year comes to mind. Alyssa is also a congresswoman, which is incredible, and a U.S. rep. And she's a no-brainer. She's also our year, too, 94. And she could bang out any interview in no time. So (laughs) she's a good interview for sure.
0: Awesome. All right. Last of all, thank you so much, Johnny, for coming on. Glad to have you.
1: Robert, thank you for all you do for the school, man, and appreciate all your good energy, man. It's good to know you.
0: This has been AIM High, Cranmer Kingswood's alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find. For any feedback or guest requests, please send an email to robert at alumni.fm. Thank you so much for listening and catch you soon.